Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. I want to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 7. 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 7. We're back in the book of 1 Peter. It's good to be back. And while y'all are doing that, I just have one thing to say, and that is Gigum Aggies. I've been trying to tell y'all that God is an Aggie for a while. Any Alabama fans in here? Just one. Still love you, brother. All right. Hey, as my dad used to say, a blind hog finds an acorn every once in a while, right? Us Aggies finally won one. All right. So um, back in the book of 1 Peter, um, I want to tell you a quick story. Um, It's kind of a sad story, actually, but setting up where we're going today in the text One of my very first deacons at my church in Austin was a guy named Aaron Lemon, young guy, served faithfully in the church for a long, long time. Um, He was 44 years old, and several months ago, he passed away. What was crazy is that the day before he got sick and died, it wasn't from COVID, the day before he got sick and died, he was absolutely fine. No issues whatsoever. Next day, 24 hours later, he gets sick with some crazy infection, gets progressively worse throughout the day, and that evening he passes away. Just happened, just like that. I thought about him a lot since then. Um, one, he was a really good friend of mine. And, and two, I, I've thought about, because I, I was close to him, and I thought a lot about that just in the way he passed away. And I thought about the day before he got sick. Went up to, to his knowledge, he was totally normal at that point. I was thinking about how he spent that day. It was probably just a normal day. Um, Probably got up, he went to work, came home, had dinner with his wife and kids, went to bed, maybe watched some TV. And I was wondering if somehow on the day before he got sick and he died, what if somehow he were he would have found out that that was his final day. And somehow the Lord would have revealed to him 24 hours before he got sick that this is it. This is your final day. I wonder how it might have changed the way that he lived that final day. Well, I know Aaron enough to know that it probably would have changed everything about the way that he lived the fi- his final hours on this planet. And in a very real sense, That's what Peter's addressing in chapter four. That's what he's talking about. And let's jump in and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter four, verse seven. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, I want you to look at that. The end of all things is at hand. And then he makes a statement. He says, therefore. And so Peter is speaking to this group of persecuted Christians and he is reminding them that we are in the final stages of God's ultimate plan of redemption. The Messiah has come. He shed his blood. He's died on a cross for our sins. He's risen again. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He has sent his Holy Spirit. And as Peter wrote these words, he's reminding us And he's reminding the people he was writing to that the return of Jesus Christ is imminent. But as Peter wrote these words, he had no idea 
when Jesus was coming back. He knew it was imminent. That's why he wrote, the end of all things is at hand. He knew that Jesus could come back at any minute. He didn't know if it would be that day. He didn't know if it would be later that week. He didn't know if it would be a year. He didn't know if it would be 2,000 years. All he knew is that they were at the end of this thing. God's ultimate plan of redemption, that any moment the trumpet could sound and Jesus Christ could come back and take them home. And so Peter's reminding them and he's reminding us that because the, because the end of all things is at hand, that ought to radically change the way you and I live our lives. Y'all with me so far? Like, look, we need to live our lives in light of the fact that the end of all things is at hand. We don't know when Christ is coming back. And then, with the rest of the chapter, he starts getting really specific about what those changes ought to look like in light of the fact that the end of all things is at hand. We looked at this before. I got into my series on heaven and hell, but the first thing he told us is that we need to be self-controlled and we need to be sober-minded so that we can pray. And what I taught on, if you remember, is that when we realize that the world is falling apart, that we're actually being persecuted for our faith, that our response is not to flip out, our response is not to lash out, but our response is to pray. How you doing with that, by the way? Y'all been thinking about that sermon every day since I preached it, hadn't you? <laughs> then the next thing he says is, above all, love one another earnestly. And he's saying, look, when you encounter people that disagree with you, you love them. When you encounter people that hate you, you love them. And you do it earnestly, which meant to the fullest possible extent that you can. And then through the rest of chapter four, what Peter does, he gives us one final thing. He gives us one final thing that you and I need to be doing in light of the fact that our time isn't short, the end of all things is at hand and Christ's return is imminent. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter four, verse 10. So we're gonna camp out today. 1 Peter chapter four, verse 10. And again, he's speaking about the fact that the end of all things is at hand, therefore, here's what we need to be doing. Verse 10, he says, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. So Peter's again, last thing, he's reminding us, the end of all things is at hand, and in light of the fact that our time is short, we don't know when he's gonna come back. There's one thing you need to make sure you're doing. Peter's saying you need to make sure that you are utilizing your spiritual gift to serve the body of Christ to the glory of Almighty God. That's what he said. Now, for those of you that um, have been to church for a while, you know exactly what that means, to use your spiritual gift to serve the body of Christ for the glory of God. But for those of you that may be new to church or new to the faith, um, what, what does that mean? That you're supposed to use your spiritual gift to serve the body of Christ. Well, I want you to look at the first thing Peter says and we'll unpack this a little bit. Look at 1 Peter 4.10 again. Peter says, as each has received a gift. Each has received a gift. What does that mean that each of us has received a gift? What kind of gift have we received? Well, the word gift comes from the Greek word charisma, and it means a gift of the Spirit. A gift of the Spirit. So what Peter's talking about is that at the moment 
you and I become a Christian, not only do you and I receive the forgiveness of our sins, but we also receive a special talent or a special ability from the Holy Spirit called the spiritual gift, okay? And uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, don't turn there, just listen, but 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Apostle Paul further explains this idea of us receiving a spiritual gift, and he tells us what it does. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so what Paul just said is that Every Christian is given a special and unique way that the Holy Spirit will show up or will manifest himself through your life, okay? Well, let's keep going because there's something Peter says next that's really critical. First Peter 4.10, he says, as each has received a gift. Look at the first two words there, as each has received a gift. It's important to remember that Peter's not writing to the pastor of this church. He's not writing just to the deacons of this church or to leaders in the church. He is addressing this letter to the entire body of Christ, probably to multiple churches, and he's reminding them that each and every single true believer in those churches has received a spiritual gift. And so if you're here today, and the sound of my voice, and you're truly a follower of Christ, it's important that you understand that God has already given you a unique and special ability that God wants to use to manifest the, uh, the, the power of the Spirit of God through your life, okay? Now, I distinctly remember where I was when I first heard this verse. I was 19 years old. Um, I was going to a, a men's Bible study at a and and I remember the, the guy reading this verse, and as a 19-year-old kid that had not yet been called to the ministry, I had absolutely no idea whatsoever what my spiritual gift was. I had absolutely no clue. But I remember hearing that verse and going, I want to know what mine is. God's given me a gift that he wants to use me for his glory. I'm in, sign me up. But I had no idea what it was. Long story, but I uh, received a call to the ministry. I surrendered to it. Still had no idea what my spiritual gift was. Got offered a job as a student pastor there in Bryan College Station. Started ministering. Still had no idea what my spiritual gift was. And I'd been there for a few months. And my pastor came up to me and said, Matt, we're going to have a sunrise service on Easter Sunday morning. And I'd like for you to preach it. Okay. And guys, I was mortified. I was mortified. I was scared to death. And here's why I was scared to death, because guys, I was scared to death to speak in public. And I might have shared this before at some point in time, but the summer before, I was a student pastor. I was taking a speech communications class in college, and the first assignment was for me to stand up in front of the class and give my name, my major, and my hometown. That's it. And I was so scared to do it, I dropped the class. And so, true story. So when the pastor told me, hey, I want you to preach on Easter, I broke out into a cold sweat, right? I had never once preached in my life. I hadn't been to seminary yet. I'd never taken a class on preaching. I'd had no idea how to prepare a sermon. And the pastor was not offering to teach me how to do it. 
And so I was scared to death. So for some reason, some crazy reason, I said yes. And I did my best to prepare. When Easter Sunday morning came, true story, I got physically ill that morning. I got physically sick to my stomach. And I was on the front row right there getting ready to stand up and preach for the very first time in my life. This is a true story. I said, Lord, would you please come back right now? And God, if, if, if you won't come back, will you kill me, right? right? But he didn't return and he didn't kill me. I walked up into the pulpit. I still, still remember it. I walked up into the pulpit and I began to speak. And something happened in that moment that I had never experienced in my entire life up to that moment. And here's what happened. As I began to speak, my nervousness disappeared. And I immediately, immediately began to feel physically and sense and experience this experience of empowerment that I knew was not for me. I'd never experienced it before in my life. Words began to flow freely from my mouth People, as I talked, were actually paying attention, which shocked me. As I told an illustration, a story, I remember seeing people being visibly moved spiritually and emotionally. At one point, I was speaking, and preachers that are in the room, you know what I'm about to say, but it's like I was talking and I was speaking but I was aware that there was this other power that was sort of moving through me. And I remember thinking to myself, what in the world is going on right now? When I was done, several people walked up to me and said, Pastor Matt, I was profoundly moved by that. I had one older gentleman, he was probably in his 70s, came up to me and said, young man, that's what you were created by God to do. My future wife, Jennifer, who, by the way, admitted later that she was scared to death that I was going to bomb that thing. <laughs> I'm going to take my glasses off for this. She came walking up to me, and I remember this, and her eyes were, were really wide. And she said, that was not you on that stage. She said, it was you, but it wasn't you. Best analogy that I can give you is like skiing. You come up to the, to the ledge with your skis, and you take the first step to push yourself off. But then once you go over the ledge, there is something else pulling you along. There's another power that's moving you down the hill. It's called gravity. And you're, you're sort of steering, but there's something else that's moving you that is outside of yourself. And here's what's crazy about it, is there's no other Situation. There's no other scenario in my entire life where I've ever experienced that. I don't experience it um, in counseling, certainly not. I don't experience it in interpersonal conversations. I don't experience it in meetings. I don't experience it when I'm coaching football. I don't experience it in any other place except when I'm standing in this pulpit preaching and teaching God's word. So how does a 21-year-old kid that was scared to death to speak publicly and had never once preached a sermon in his life, had never had anybody sit down and tell him how to do it, how in the world does he stand in the pulpit and for the first time he ever does it, move people's heart for the gospel? 
And the only explanation I can give you, the only possible explanation was for the very first time in my life, I was utilizing my spiritual gift that the Lord gave me. Preaching and teaching God's word is this unique way that for whatever reason, God gave me that he wants to manifest his power through for the building up of the body of Christ. And by the way, guys, it's one of the reasons I'm convinced there's a God. Because I simply cannot explain it apart from that verse. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift. Okay, now guess what, Sagemont? You have one too. You have one too. If you're here and you're truly a believer, that at the moment of your salvation, God gave you a gift. You possess it right now that was meant for the Spirit to manifest himself through your life for the glory of God. I'm gonna just read them to you real quick. Um, Paul, in different places in the scripture, lists the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 and Romans 12, 6. But I'll read 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to you. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And so there is wisdom just from knowledge and growing older and failing and stuff like that. But there is a spiritual gift of wisdom. I've met people who have it. It's like they speak. They don't speak much, but when they speak, you know that's from God. To another, an utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another, faith. Again, there's things that we all have. If we're in Christ, we have faith, but there is a spiritual gifting of, of being able to believe God at his promises. Another, gifts of healing, to another, work of miracles, of prophecy, to another, ability to distinguish between spirits, that's discernment, to another, various kinds of tongues, another, interpretation of tongues. Now look at Romans 12, 6. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes, by the way, there is a spiritual gift of giving. One who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So you got mercy, you got giving, you got teaching, you got leadership. There's all these different ways that the Holy Spirit gives these gifts for you to use for the building up of the body of Christ. And then in Ephesians, he lists a group of gifts that are primary for leaders in the church. Not just leaders in the church have them, but they're called the pastoral gifts. That's Ephesians 4.11. says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, I want you guys to pay careful attention to what Paul says next because he makes a really key statement about why God gives you and I spiritual gifts. So in verse 11 again, he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Look at the next part. Why did God do that? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Sagemont, who are the saints? It's you. You're the saints. That's you. Paul just said that, the, that God equips guys like me with the ability to preach so that I would then turn and equip and train you so that you can do the work of ministry. 
And that's a paradigm shifting thought for a lot of people in the American church. And that's why I've never been a huge fan of calling pastors ministers. Because who does the scripture say that God calls to do the work of the ministry? You. And so here's how this works. I equip you, or let me, let me back up, because I, I want to look at what, what he says next, because he explains why I'm supposed to be equipping you for the work of the ministry. Look at verse 12. It says, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And then he says, why? For the building up of the body of Christ. Okay, so here's how this works. Don't miss this. I equip you with my spiritual gift so that you can do the work of the ministry with your spiritual gift. And as you do that, that builds up and makes healthy the body of Christ. Which is exactly, by the way, what Peter says. Look at verse 10 again. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. There's two things that are key that Peter just said. Number one, every one of you has a spiritual gift and you are supposed to be using it. And the second key thing that he said is that you're using that gift that God gave you to serve, to serve one another, okay? Let me, guys, let me ask you guys a question. If you're a Christian, you're a believer, and you're not using your gift that God gave you, to serve and build up the body of Christ. Is that a big deal? Right? Is that a big deal? If you're a Christian, maybe you're busy. Maybe you just don't feel like it. Maybe it's not a priority, but you're sitting on the sidelines and you're not using your spiritual gift to build up the body of Christ. Does that matter? Is it a big deal? Well, I want you to look at Ephesians 4.15. Ephesians 4.15. This is... a uh, a really critical foundational verse for how I view ministry. Ephesians 4.15, he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, he's talking about the whole church, the body of Christ. He says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. Now, now watch this next part. He says, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Okay, now, what did Paul just say makes the body of Christ grow? Is it cool LED screens? Is it awesome programs? Is it sermon series that are cool and nifty and culturally relevant? No. He says the body of Christ begins to get healthy and it starts growing when each and every part of the body of Christ, which is you and me, is working properly. He's talking directly about spiritual gifts. And by the way, if you think about it, taking the analogy of the body, this makes all the sense in the world, right? The church is compared to a body over and over again. So let's think about your body for a second. Let's say one day um, you're sitting there and your liver decided that it was just going to stop working that day. And it's thinking to itself, you know, I'm kind of tired. And, um, and I'm actually kind of busy today. And honestly, I don't really like how the gallbladder's been treating me lately. 
And so uh, I'm just going to take a month or two off here. I'm doing my role in the body. Is that a big deal? Is that, is that going to affect the health of your body? The church is a body and the Lord says that it is, then it cannot have part-time eyes, part-time ears, part-time legs, part-time hands, a part-time heart, a part-time brain, part-time liver that shows up when it's convenient and disappears when it's not. If it's a body, the scripture tells us that the way that the body of Christ, it gets healthy and it begins to grow is when each and every part of the body of Christ is working properly. Um, I'll be honest with you. There's a, there's a couple of things in church life over the years that as a pastor just kind of wear me out, right? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a little harsh here for the next couple of minutes and so y'all bear with me. One of the things I, I hear all the time and it wears me out and I have to be nice when I hear it because um, a lot of times people that are saying this are, have been wounded by the church and, and I get it, but it wears me out. I, I hear, I'm a Christian but I just don't want to be a part of a church. I hear it all the time. And it, it is profoundly unbiblical. This is the reason it's unbiblical. Because we're a body. And if you're a Christian, you're a part of the body. And you can't prop, uh, function properly apart from the body. It can't be done. Okay? And so if that's you... You're part of the body of Christ, but you're saying, you know what, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to engage with the body of Christ. I'm not going to play my part. Number one, you are completely wasting the gift that God gave you. And two, you are living completely outside of the will of, of the Lord for your life. Here's the other thing that wears me out. And it maybe wears me out worse. It's that people that actively attend church and they consume ministry but they have no intention whatsoever of ever using their gifts to engage in serving the body of Christ like God Almighty has called them to. Now, here's, here's the hard part. Some of y'all are gonna get mad at me. And I'm gonna say something that I used to say once a year at my old church. And every time I said it, a hundred people left the church. Every time. And thing that I noticed, though, is that every time those hundred people left the church, we always started growing faster than before. And I'll tell you why in a second. But here's, here's what I want to say. And I say this with all pastoral heart and love. I, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I used to say it hard when I was young and dumb. But here's, here's my heart on this. If you're here and you're a believer, or excuse me, if you're a non-believer and you're checking out God, you're checking out the church, I want you to know I'm so glad you're here. You can stay here as long as you need to get your questions answered. We are here for you and we want you here. If you're here and you're hurting and you're wounded or you're burned out, or you're struggling, or you're going through a season of illness, or there's just something wrong in your life, and you just don't have the margin emotionally and spiritually and physically to engage in serving the body of Christ, and you're here, I just want you to know we love you. I'm glad you're here. You can stay here as long as you like, and you need to be healthy.
if you serve the body of Christ outside the church and you're ministering and serving outside the church and this is where you come and this is where you're fed, that's great. I'm glad you're here. If you're here and you don't know what your spiritual gift is, but you want to know and you want to engage and you want to use it, I'm glad you're here. Stay as long as you like to find that out. But if you're here and you're a Christian and you have no desire whatsoever to discover your gift or ever use it to build up the body of Christ for the glory of God, you are in the wrong church. You're in the wrong church. This church is not for you. There are a lot of churches out there that would love to have you come and just take up a seat in their church, but this church isn't one of them. Why do I say that? Because the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand, and we do not have time here at Sagemont Church to be a country club. We don't have time to do it. This church is going to get on mission. It's going to get on mission. And I want people here that are going to raise their hand, find their God-given spiritual gift, and for crying out loud, get in the fight. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm asking for. And if you don't think we're in a fight, go read this book. We're not actually in a fight. We're in a war. And so pick up your weapon and start using it for the glory of God. Again, every time I said that in Austin, maybe it's because I was in Austin, but I would always have people stand up and leave right when I said that. And then 100 people would leave. And again, every single time after it happened, we'd begin to grow significantly after the 100 left. Why? Because that 100 had no intention whatsoever of ever using their gift to serve the body of Christ and were sitting on the sidelines. They were keeping our body from growing. So scripture says that the body of Christ grows when each and every part is working properly. And when they left, we got healthy and we started growing. So with that in mind, watch what he says next. 1 Peter 4.10. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Watch what he says next. He says, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Scripture said that every one of us that is a Christian, a true believer, has received a, a gift of the Holy Spirit. It is a Holy Spirit-empowered ability that you possess. You got it at your salvation. And the scripture just said that you and I are to be a good steward of it. We're to steward it well. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said that you will be held accountable. If you're a Christian, you will be held accountable for how you stewarded those gifts. Okay, and I want you to listen to what Jesus said about people who had been given gifts and had been given talents but refused to use them. And guys, what he said is pretty intense. So if you want to get mad today, get mad at Jesus, not me. Matthew 25, 14, this is red letters. Jesus is talking. It's called the parable of the talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one with five talents, by the way, 
took those five talents, put it to work, created five more. So when the Lord came back, he looked at the guy who'd used the talents and put them in the fight and made five more and said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've heard that phrase before a million times. It's there. He used his talents, created five more. When he's standing face to face with the, with the master, the master says, well done, my good and my faithful servant. Then there's the two, the guy with two talents. He went out, put them in the fight, used them, put them to work, and he made two more. And so when the master returned, the master looks at the one who made two into four and said, well done, my good and my faithful servant. And then there's the one, the guy with one talent. It was given to him by the master. He took it and did nothing with it. Nothing. And he buried it. Watch what the master says to him when he returns. Matthew 25, 26. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. And you ought to have invested my money with bankers and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given more. And he will have abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And look at verse 30. It says, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's pretty intense, guys. Y'all with me? Now, by the way, Jesus is not saying you lose your salvation if you don't serve or use your spiritual gift because we know it's impossible for us to lose our salvation. And so the only explanation that there could be for what he's talking about when he clearly references hell is there's no such thing. There's no such thing as a true believer that is content to sit on the sidelines and not use his giftings for the glory of God and the building up of the body of Christ. That's why Charles Spurgeon, there's a quote by Charles Spurgeon I've shared with you before, I'm gonna share it again. Charles Spurgeon, the pastor, 1800s, he says this, as a Christian, you are either a minister of the gospel or you're an imposter. As a Christian, you're either a minister of the gospel or you're an imposter. And just like the three people in the story, you and I will stand before Almighty God, our master, and we will give an account for the talents he gave us and how we stewarded him and those of us that will hear, well done, my good and my faithful servant are the ones of us who faithfully served. So I'll land the plane today by asking a question here, doing one little point of application because Jesus seems to take this pretty seriously. So how do we find our spiritual gift? Like, how do we find it? Because um, if you're here and you don't have any idea what your spiritual gift is, but you're like, hey, I'd like to find out. Um, well, there's a couple things you can do. Number one, there's spiritual gift inventories out there, and those can be helpful, but those are not the most effective way to find your spiritual gifts. I'll give you why. Because when I was 19, if I were to take a spiritual gift inventory, preaching would have not shown up. Why? Because I'd never done it before. I had absolutely no idea that I could do it. So here's the answer. How do you find your spiritual gift? Here's how you find it. 
you start serving the body of Christ. You start serving the body of Christ and you see where the Holy Spirit empowers your serving and that's it. You start serving broadly across the body of Christ. You come, you jump in there, you see a need, you jump in there. You you see this going on there, you jump in there. You you see that need, you engage in this ministry, you engage in that ministry, and you sense and feel and look for what I sensed and felt and looked for is where is the Holy Spirit empowering my service? And that is your gift. And when you realize it, you steward it. And you get in the fight. And you go, God, you've given me this gift. I'm gonna use it to build up the body of Christ for the glory of your name. And it'll be one of the best decisions you ever made in your entire life. I want to end today by showing you a graphic. Just a little picture. That's the total number of people that became a Christian at Sagemont Church since October 6th of 2020. That's pretty cool, isn't it? By the way, that's more than any single year at my previous church. And this was in the middle of a pandemic. The church in Austin, a lot bigger than this one. The Spirit of God is moving in our church and I want you to know that He's using you to do it. Because every single solitary one of those names is a person whose life and eternity has been radically changed by the power of the gospel. But the scripture is clear that that does not happen apart from the body of Christ working properly. It wasn't just me preaching. It started years ago with some people that had the gift of service and the gift of giving built this thing. And then one of those people showed up one day and some guy out there with a vest from the parking team used his gift of service to help him get in the building. And then from there, when they parked on the first time guest parking lot, somebody with the gift of hospitality said, hi, how are you doing? I hope you're having an amazing morning. Welcome to Stage My Church. And then walked them into the building and helped them find where they needed to go. And then from there, somebody again with the gift of hospitality began to uh, welcome them. Our greeters did that. And then somebody probably with the gift of service met them at the door and ushered them to their seat. And then people with all these different gifts created graphics and led them in worship and were on the technical team and the cameras and and the TV stuff back there. And then they heard some guy with the spiritual gift of preaching or teaching, or maybe it was some woman in another class that was teaching an iConnect class or a man that was teaching and they received the spirit of Almighty God. And then somebody maybe with the gift of evangelism began to talk to them about how to make it official and they trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And their eternities were forever, forever, forever changed. And that's all of them. And that happened because over and over and over again, you guys used the gifts that God gave you for the glory of God and the expansion of the gospel. So here's a challenge for you as I end today. On this Sunday, next year, I would love for those names to be doubled. Can y'all get excited about that at all? I mean, I... I'd like for there to be so many names that that you can't even read them because the font has to be too small to fit them on the screen. 
But the other challenge is not just double those names, but the other challenge is I want, I want you to be a part of one of those names or two or 10 being on that screen. You'll be so glad you did.